You're listening to R&D and the QC with Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston. Episode 12, we talk about this marathon day we just had. Sheriff Carmichael talks 287G and Smudgy talks Eastland. All right, episode 12, it has been, oh, probably just sound like uh, complainers, but it, this has actually been the longest day we've had, uh, not from start, in terms of start to finish, but no breaks. We had three committee meetings back to back to back right before the council meeting, so uh, it's been quite a day. I wonder what this podcast would be like if we were like super fresh when we, when we did it, like mentally fresh. Well, I will, I will give a little teaser here and say we will get to find out in... Uh, couple of months we have had our first outreach i won't say from whom or when it's going to be but sometime Ooh, this summer yes we have been invited to record our show live in front of a studio audience as it were at a very large employer in the charlotte area live performance and uh, and we'll have their ceo tentatively as our guest so we will get to find out what it's like when we are not um all hopped up on caffeine and yeah. adrenaline at Do, 11 a.m. or 11 it's p.m. Be super. I mean, we're on the fast track right now with this podcast, Larkin. It's basically it's going to be Pod Save America, but it won't suck. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it'll be like Pod Save America, but only 50 percent accurate. <laughs> so, um, so that that's a great plug. So we have really no plan for this first segment, other than we did a lot of stuff today. Um, so what, the takeaway is about? the takeaway is let's never schedule three back to back to back committee meetings again. Followed by a dinner briefing, followed by a full council yeah. meeting that also included seven additional rezonings we didn't get to last Although, week. Although shout out to the caterers, that chicken was delicious. Tonight. Good chicken, good chicken. All right, so our committee meetings in order were transportation and planning, tap, economic development, ed, <laughs> and an environmental committee. Ick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you know we're going to talk about later with um, with Smudgy James Mitchell, who's the chair of the economic development. We're going to talk about Eastland, which was really the uh, the meat of the economic. We development recorded community. that earlier. That's our third segment tonight. We learned some very uh, inside information, inside baseball for what we saw today with Eastland. Smudgy was uh, Candy. very frank. Yes. Um, but I think the other interesting meeting we had today, they're all a little interesting, but... But hold on, but the, then the second segment... We actually got something done in one of them. That's true. But the, before we get to our part, the second segment... Sheriff Carmichael's going to be on in our second segment, yeah. talking about 287G. Recorded and, that uh, a little earlier today. Uh, so we and got we some, got to A-list have, guests. Him, have him specifically respond to his thoughts of what the breaking news the chief basically had on our first breaking news of the podcast, which was... Uh, a little bit of a disagreement in the application of the program. And we're going to schedule the first R&D cage match. Cage match. Coming up soon. Sunday. <laughs> That's my job. Okay. Um, <laughs> so t- let's get to our day. What, all what right, else Envir- Environment Committee. We actually we, we got something done that, that we've been wanting to get done. We actually put forward something that will go to the Budget Committee and, and the Council. Um, we've talked about stormwater ad nauseum on this show, but today... We officially recommended, uh, that, and like I said, it'll go to budget first, I think, and then full council, that we implement a pilot program, which you and I had had been upset with the fact that people in this building think a pilot program is five years. Mm. So we got that fixed. It's now going to be a two-year program, which actually sounds like a pilot. Well, um, I wouldn't say that sounds like well, a pilot. Well, baby steps. Like, yeah, like my first term <laughs> in council is a pilot. Well, it sort of is. <laughs> Your voters are seeing how it turns out and deciding if they want any more of it. Um, which at this point, yeah. eh, touch and go. Yeah. 
Enjoy this pilot, everyone. <laughs> Are we still going to do this show when you get voted out of office? Yeah, of okay. course. You'll dude. still come in here. Yeah. We just have to move it to my office. That's right. Um, so yeah, so we put forward this pilot program. It's going to be five million dollars over two years, and it's an opportunity for our lower priority stormwater projects uh, to have a cost sharing with the city, where wherein the property owner will contribute. A de- an amount to be determined. The city will contribute an amount to be determined. We can get some of this work done. It will also, over the course of those two years, really help refine the data that we've got in terms of what the actual backlog of these projects is, how many people don't live there anymore, um, at the pro- wherever they were when they called in to get on this list, how many of these projects have either gotten worse and now need to move up to our A and B priorities where we're going to be covering the entire cost and, and prioritizing them, how many of them have potentially self-corrected in some cases or are no longer an issue. Uh, we'll have a lot of data that's a lot more accurate than what we have now at the end of this pilot, and we'll get some of these fixed for folks. You know what I don't like about this? And I, I, I like that we've we've made a decision. I like that. I like that this is a creative pilot. Um, I mentioned in the meeting I don't necessarily like – I had this feeling that, like, this was almost a marketing bailout to say – for the low cost of $5 million, we've solved the $600 million problem. When in fact, they almost are two different policy decisions, but I think we got there. So I'm okay on that. Um, but I, you know, one of the challenges I have still with all of this is, um, you know, we, there's still $600 million sitting out there as a challenge. So this two-year pilot process is only going to help us inform to essentially say, are we good to bail on that or not? And I've almost been thinking some radical thoughts lately uh, that uh, should we be in, should we be doing B's? And I don't know the answer there, but should we, should we be doing B's as it relates to the ABC uh, realm? When you look at C's are nice to have on people's property, we didn't cause it. B's are for the most part, while they're a little more critical, they're not in the right of way. And many of them aren't city-caused uh, properties. I've learned uh, problems. I've learned a lot in the history of the, the 25 years that, uh, ago that the EPA kind of created this uh, this mandate for us to have an enterprise fund and go about this. You know, I'm wondering how much of this problem did we create with a bigger government mindset, on saying the- we'll solve this for you, and then all of a sudden it got huge, and now we're also still talking about cutting that down for just a $5 million, and we're going to talk about either 4 all the way up to maybe 8% fee rate hikes well I mean, that's that's uh, that's a lot uh, the bees i think we need to go out and and actually visit on site a variety of bee type projects to really determine um if, if what you're saying is a possibility on the the four percent rate increase i do think ultimately there's going to have to be some consideration of the rate increase this pilot program is not inherently going to trigger a rate increase because for the time being the option would be that this is money we would divert from other stormwater projects to launch this pilot. Now, the other funding option that the budget committee, I think, will have is if they wanted to do a 4% fee increase, um, they could pay for it that way without diverting any funds from other stormwater projects. But as of now, we are not putting this forward with the recommendation of a fee increase. And then the $600 million backlog on seas, I don't actually think is $600 million. And that's what we were getting at, uh, talking about how some of these will have elevated themselves to higher priority. Some of these will be gone. A lot of these will be property owners who might have long ago sold their properties or moved away. How can they not do that analysis before? Well, How because if you're talking that? about if you're talking about four, what was it, four thousand two hundred and some um, <laughs> people on this list, or, or not people, but 
uh, like projects on this list. Did you notice the list went down? The last time we had an update, it was 4,800. Look, Today, it was 4,200. Look how quickly we're fixing Bam, it. Bam, that's it. Um, Problem solved. So I think that a lot of these folks are, are not even going to be the same property owners that, that initially called these things in. I Again, I think that the, the best upshot here, obviously for some people, uh, we're going to fix their, their issue, and that's great. Uh, and we're not going to do it at the full cost of the city. But I think really the, the best thing that will come out of this pilot is the data that we'll have. And then we really will have a current day understanding of, of this issue, which I don't feel like any of us think we do right now. Transportation and planning today. Um, we, we got a, another UDO update and some other things there. Um, uh, you know, we got to hear, you went to the Saturday session with the community. I went to the Friday session with the developers in the community. Uh, Mr. Silver was there talking about what they did in Raleigh. Uh, you know, the big punchline on that one, the takeaway is his critique back to us or, you know, constructive criticism was it all makes sense is what we did, but you guys are going about it in the hardest way possible, rolling out this UDO and place types, which is you're not engaging and bringing the community along with you historically to this point. So I, that resonated with me a lot. It's I recommend that that's what you took. I mean, and, and I, I wasn't at yours and you weren't at mine. Uh, I was at a thing with him Thursday and a thing with him Saturday. I read an article Saturday. that he had said that in, and then I asked him the question when we were there. Okay. Well, maybe it was because you asked a more pointed question. The way it was, the way I perceived when he spoke about it was more just, we did it one way, you're not doing it that way. So he wasn't quite as um, he was very antagonistic about yeah, our, yeah. our methodology when I was hearing him talk about it. But I thought, you know, I again, I think Ty's doing a doing a good job. I, I believe we need to have an ad hoc committee to really drill into how we're going to engage the community because, one, council members need to better understand this. And that's why I floated, I've not only floated the idea of doing this pilot South Park, but today I floated the idea of, you know, we have on average 17 rezonings we vote on every month. So there's over 300 opportunities in the next year and a half for council, specifically those working on the UDO, to give us a synopsis of what this case we're looking at would look like in a UDO type environment and what the things are. That That's gonna help us more than anything. You know if there's a UDO pilot, I'm gonna steal it and it's gonna be a district one, right? Well, look, there is no benefit <laughs> of a UDO pilot. I've, told, I've said this to you before, it's it's all downside. <laughs> a lot of work and just be, it's like, oh, I get the new regulation early? That's fantastic. District one, we're the innovative district. This is where things get get workshopped. Okay. We're, we're the test tube district. I see, I hear it. So yeah, that, like reverse angle parking. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. I, I will mention we caught up on seven uh, rezonings today that we had missed last week. I, I just want to go out on a limb here and say how pleased I was with uh, staff for how they um, answered and, and proactively were answering the question of uh, will they support or, um, or be in opposition to a case uh, because it is not consistent with the area plan. I know I've been hard on them. I'm specifically uh, calling out Tammy right now who uh, she just, it, I, was, I, it, I was so pleased that they did that. And this is not a personal uh, mission for me to to make people feel crappy. It, it's to to make some changes to how we approach things to be more like traffic cops and less like detectives until the UDO magically solves everything. I'd love for Tammy to prove me wrong, but I don't think Tammy listens to our show. I think she does because she told me she did and she heard last week's episode and asked why Uh-oh. I was mad at her. <laughs> we love you, Tammy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, so uh, other than all the officers, once again, that it was wonderful to see in the audience today. And what? We're going we're gonna to work hard, right? Me and you are aligned on this, Larkin. We're going to find a way to help them get well, some better health care at retirement. We're going to find a way to help them get more competitive pay. 
uh, by reprioritizing some other stuff that might be painful. I think we agree we want to do more for our first responders. I have told you recently, uh, and I'll and I'll say it publicly, I, I will not draw a line in the sand between CMPD and Charlotte Fire Department. Um, I think that I can agree with whatever that. whatever we seek to do and hope to do for our police officers, we need to do for our firefighters. Uh, they both put their bodies through hell to do the work that they do and protect us. Um, and, and I can certainly differentiate between what they do and, and maybe other city employees if we don't have the ability to do it for everybody. But but I'm not drawing a line in the so same between So glad to hear you say that. I, I'm in agreement. So. Approved. Motion? Second? Well, I'm not sure that's a specific enough motion. Pass. Got well, it. We, we, we obviously all agree. We so we got a huge, can. huge episode here, man. These next two segments, having already recorded them, I can say... Lots of hot fire. There's a lot... A lot going on in these two. So uh, we around. may break news. We may break news again. Not if we don't. Not if we don't finish this and post it. No, let's keep this episode going, dude. We can stay here all night. No, all right. Take man. us to the break. Take us to the break, ladies and gentlemen. The next two segments will be riveting. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Super special guest. Larkin and I are very excited. Sheriff Irwin Carmichael, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Appreciate the invite. So, Sheriff Carmichael, your resume is is broad and deep. And I, I get into a little bit. You're in your first term elected as the sheriff of Mecklenburg County. Um, but get into what your background is in terms of... Um, your service to this community and what brought you to the And point why are you my right favorite now? Democrat? Uh, <laughs> well, walk me through that. Well, you know, I was born and raised here in Mecklenburg County. And uh, I started with the Sheriff's Office in 1986. And when I started, there was only like 75 officers. But today, we're over a 1,000 officers and deputies together. And so I've seen the agency, I've seen this county just grow and progress uh, to where we are today. You didn't even mention your fire service. No, well, I did well, that's both. Actually, sweet spot yeah, right I know, there, I know. You know, I actually He's from the Long Creek area. Yeah, oh, there we go. And I actually went through two recruit schools in one year. I joined the uh, fire. Uh, well, excuse me, the sheriff's office first. Went through basic law enforcement training, and then went through the uh, fire recruit school. So, and I retired in 2012 from uh, the Charlotte Fire Department, and then uh, ran for sheriff in 2014. Man, does that uniform give you like 10 times more respect than we get normally out there? I feel like it does. Uh, It's impressive. You look impressive. (laughs) Stars, all that stuff. I'm a big fan. He's also Uh, uh, like a sixth degree. Is that right? Ninth. Ninth degree black belt. In what? Uh, Kempo karate. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm jiu-jitsu, so, but so I'm, be careful. I'm, be careful. Almost a blue belt. Hey, so that's be careful with your jokes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So uh, let's let's drop right into the topic of the day. Yeah. Clearly, we we can't talk about much before we talk about 287G right now. Just given how much folks have been talking about it, I want to start because um, last week on our episode we had the chief of police. We talked about a bunch of things and. Tentatively, I asked if he wanted to weigh in on what his thoughts on the 287G program. He kind of, on one side, said he got the intent. He thought it made sense for what it was. And then I'm just looking at a quote he had. um, The intent was to make sure we're taking felons and gang members who are violent out of play. If you apply the program specific to those reasons, I think you have a totally different outcome. If you're asking everybody about their national origin, I think it's a different application. And so if it were, uh, as it was designed, I think it's a good tool. I don't know that it's being applied that way. So that makes me think, um, you know, 
I heard your presentation to county commission. It made a lot of sense and it really resonated with me when you showed some actual examples and some data-based elements. What, what's your response to the application of the program? You know, the application, there, there's actually two different programs. There is a law enforcement side, which is outside of the jail, and there's a jail model. Mm. I strictly use the jail model because with last year over 35,000 arrests coming in, we have to identify every single person that comes in our jail. And this is the only tool we have, the only tool. And everybody's always asked the same two questions when they come in because we, we want to know when we, it's a federal database, that's all it is, plus it's going to tell us their criminal history. Mm -hmm. And we have to have this information because of my officers that are working inside the facilities, but also it's information because some, what about if they're out in the community? It's for safety and security inside our facilities and also out in the community. And having that background, we're able to know if they've committed a crime in another country, we have access to that because they may be a fugitive from another country. Mm. And we're able to access this information and immediately this person, we got to remove, not remove, but we got to make sure we know who is inside our jail and facilities. And the sheriff's office has never deported anyone. So you say it's the only tool, but for all the, the cities and towns across this state and across this country who aren't a part of 287G, what's their process if somebody comes in and is there anybody, uh, two-part question, that's one, people who don't use 287G, mm -hmm. what do they do? People, other communities who are part of the 287G program, is there anybody who delineates between felons People acute are, are charged with a felony versus charged with a misdemeanor because I think, uh, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think I got the sense from the chief. He kind of agreed with me that you know if we're talking about felons, that's one thing. If we're talking about folks who might be in for something far more minor, maybe that's another. Uh, is there a different way to apply it in some circumstances between uh, the types of crimes and in communities where they don't use it? What is their process? All right. Well, uh, I'll take your first question. In the state of North Carolina, there's only five counties right now that are using a 287G. But uh, by law, uh, another county, let's use Iredale County. If a person is uh, arrested, brought in, and they cannot identify who this person is, there's no identity, they have to call ICE. Now, ICE may not show up for two days. And, but they still, by law, have to. Then it's up to the sheriff's office whether, well, I'm not going to hold this person for two days. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, release them. It may have been for uh, DWI. But they have to make that call. Here, this is the largest county in the Carolinas, North Carolina, South Carolina. Look at the uh, volume of arrests. We can't wait two days. We need to identify now. And that's what this program does. It identifies that person now. And now we have their criminal history. We know who this person is. See, so that, to me, makes a ton of sense. And I, I get that point. So the, my the, second the, question, though, ahead, the other ahead. places where 287G is being utilized, is there anybody who tries to draw a line between felons, those accused of felonies? Because, again, I want to reiterate, too, and I mentioned this with the chief, so far these people have not been convicted of a crime. They've been charged with a crime and arrested, and there's a big difference there, but is there anybody in the country who's using 287G and saying that we're only asking it of people who are being charged with a felony, or by using it at all, are, are you obligated to ask every single person that comes in? 
You know, yes, with the with the program, the parameters are set up. Everyone's asked the same two questions when they come in. It's, it doesn't separate whether a person's a misdemeanor or, or uh, they're charged with a felony. But the state charges has to be disposed of first. So if a person's arrested for DWI, they have to answer for those state charges first before ICE ever takes over. So when you say everybody, if you or I get arrested, we're getting asked those same two questions as well? Absolutely, yes. Everyone is asked those same two questions. So let me ask you two questions I hear on the other side of this argument against it. That, uh, And again, I'll preface it by saying you have, in, in your presentation to County Commission, is the first time I've seen actual data. Now, I could argue, could I use more data? Sure, to back up the program. But that was data-based approach of how we are safer through the use of this database and what it provides. The anecdotal arguments that I haven't seen data behind yet, but that they are on the other side of this, here, here's two specific questions for you. One, is, is somebody crossing the street and jaywalking in our data that has been deported is the, in that type of scenario? Is that, have we seen something of they aren't violent criminals and they weren't violent criminals in what they did inside that database? But that database showed that they were an illegal immigrant and they, and they were caught, essentially, jaywalking and deported. Has anything like that ever happened? You know, the, they always use a, an individual that is driving with no operator's license. Mm-hmm. They always, that constantly comes up. That is, I can tell you, law enforcement, probably as a, a whole in this county, if they stop someone and they're able, hey, they got, uh, they got some documentation in to maybe identify them, then they're not going to write, uh, then what they're going to do is write them a citation. Mm-hmm. They're not going to arrest them and bring them to jail. Now, if they write them a citation, they don't show up to court, and the next time they're encountered, then now there's order for arrest. Yep. They are going to arrest them. That makes and sense. then they're brought in. Now, it's always the case that they're saying, we, again, we have never deported anyone, but they've used the number 15,000 individuals have been removed from here, from this county. Mm-hmm. Just as soon as ICE comes in, once everything's disposed of, their state charges are disposed of, then from here, ICE then takes them. They transport them out of this county. So they 15,000 have been deported, or they have left this county. We don't know whether they all have been deported because they go to, now they're going to see an immigration judge. And that immigration judge makes the decision whether they will be removed from this country or not. And like I said, the sheriff's office, we don't, we don't keep that data. They don't give, I mean, I'm sure if we sit here and ask for about each individual person, but we only use it to identify, nothing else. Well, one thing I want to want to clarify, I think, from that side of the argument's perspective, and then I think it leads into what I'm certain was going to be Tarek's second, second point. I think it's, I can appreciate your differentiation between you are not deporting people um, it's ICE deporting people. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that also it's not a, a far stretch for people to to feel like you're facilitating that removal um, at the Sheriff's Department by being a part of this program. So I, th- I think that then leads into the second thing I'm pretty sure Tarek was going to point out, which is that one of the arguments against 287G is that it erodes trust yes. between the immigrant and, mm-hmm. and foreign-born community and our law enforcement officers. And again, we can, you know, we can sit here and say, well, the sheriff's department isn't deporting or CMPD is not even involved in this or whatever. But 
from a general perspective, if you've got something, if English isn't your first language, you've, you know, you're here and maybe you're working two jobs trying to provide for a family, you've got all these other concerns and worries in your life. If you just know that there's a law enforcement agency in this area that's contributing to people that you know in, in your family or your community being removed from the community, it's not hard to imagine that folks in the immigrant population would start to be concerned about having any interaction with any law enforcement agency and that that would potentially lead to them not wanting but to be But hold on, but hold on, because I, I was going to, that was indeed my point, but I was going to frame it a different way, which was in the same anecdotal way I hear it, they say, it, um, you know, uh, community member X and Y sitting there and there is domestic violence occurring in the house and that person feels uncomfortable because of 287G to call. I, my gut tells me that 287G in the database and how we use it, that person, if they were here illegally, they're probably going to feel uncomfortable no matter what. The law of the land, the way of the nation and the culture we have right here, it's not 287G in my mind, anecdotally, that's preventing that from happening. I mean, do you see things where you think it's 287G, that that's why this this part of the community is scared to interact with police? Or is it the broader macro, what's going on? I have never had a chief, a sheriff tell me this is affecting the way they do their job, mm. in the way they do their job. I mean, they people are obviously reporting crimes. And if you take, right now, talking about felonies and misdemeanors, Mecklenburg County, the 287G program, 35% are felons that are encountered the 287G. Which means 65% aren't. Right, 65, good. So number one, the good number math, one Arthur. crime. Good math. The number one crime is DWI. Number two crime, which is a misdemeanor, Number two crime, what do you think that is? Assault. assault on a female. Assault on a female. That's number two, which is a misdemeanor. But the third one is a felony. Indecent liberties with a minor. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty profound. That's tough to argue that. It is. I mean, and, and honestly, like, think when we start talking about assault, that's one where these are people I, I, I want off the streets. But I... So actually, a very specific question then to Tark's theoretical circumstance there. If someone who is in this country uh, without documentation were to call and report that they had a, they were experiencing domestic violence in their home, mm -hmm. law enforcement comes out, uh, let's say arrests the, the male in this home for domestic violence, obviously is going to take a report from the female mm -hmm. who's, who's being abused. Is there any circumstance in that scenario wherein that undocumented female then gets caught up in this system? No, in no way, shape, or form, because they didn't commit a crime. All they did was report a crime. Well, then I think we could do a better job of getting that messaging out, because, again, if we as, as elected officials or, or very engaged citizens don't understand all of the nuances of, of something but like hold this, on, hold on. you can't I, expect I, a general citizen. I hate to, to argue my own point here, but so the in this scenario, the female who was the victim didn't create, commit a crime. What if the the male partner in this scenario did commit a crime, which was domestic violence? Violence, right. And then they ended up being on there. Could they be taken away? When they were the arrested, male, brought the into would. the jail, yes. Right. So that's where the argument is. I'm not saying I'm for or against that angle of it. And there's an element of humanity here which makes this very, very challenging. But let me ask you this question, Sheriff, um, because 
it's difficult for me because I, you, I, you and I have talked a couple times. You know I have a, a lot of respect for you. Favorite Democrat of all time. Um, the chief is also my favorite person in government. Mm-hmm. It bothers me a little bit when I kind of hear that you guys aren't on the same page here. Have you guys sat down and had a conversation? And two, is there are there little things? I mean, we can always operationally do stuff better. I, th- I, I'm behind you. I think this database makes a lot of sense, but I, without a doubt, could sit here and probably tell you, I'm sure there's some things we could tweak. Have you guys ever sat down one and two, are you thinking about ways to tweak, to make the spirit of this more effective, which is we're trying to get violent people off, off the streets, out of our jails, protect our, our, our sheriffs and deputies and folks like that. And, you know, I would think while we fall on different sides of the aisle in the in the entire city on is it just being illegal here enough to trigger this or not, that's a that's a secondary conversation. It's low hanging fruit to make sure we keep mm-hmm. criminals uh, off the streets and and out of our jails in a way that keep our, ourselves safe. Have you thought about those things? You know what my our biggest challenge is is dispelling the fear that people are putting out in the community and the false information that is out in the community yeah. i am still today being accused of being at bus stops round participating in roundups that we're out uh, arresting all these folks we don't we don't do that this is used inside the jail as an identification tool it is a federal database that's it what i want to do is educate the community just like uh, he asked in regards to making sure people understand. If a domestic violence has happened, the person reporting it, there is no risk in any way, shape, or form. The person who committed the crime, there's a risk. Okay, They're going to be arrested, brought to our jail, now we're going to identify them. But that's all we're going to do. But then these 15,000 people they always refer to who went to uh, Atlanta or somewhere else and saw a judge... We don't know what happened. Some of them obviously are probably released back in because as I've given data in the past, they're allowed to stay here and then they commit other crimes. And I show case after case, it may start off as a misdemeanor, but they have progressed to felonies. So again, it's about education, making sure we use it strictly to identify who we have. Is this election gonna become a referendum on 287G, do you think? It's hard, it's hard to tell now, but it's being politicized. There's only six weeks left or five weeks. It's being politicized by some of, some of your opponents. Oh, yes. Not? Right. Well, my opponents have uh, made a statement. They even had one of them say that uh, they believe in sanctuary cities. So <laughs> it's this is uh, they're going to do away with it. I'm going to keep it for safety and security of my staff and safety and security of this community. Well, and I don't think that you're going to get too much grief from anybody if if the program is taking people who are a threat in this community off the streets. And if, and I would, I would, regardless of maybe my delineation shouldn't be felony misdemeanor, maybe it should be uh, a threat to others in the community versus not, because the, all the examples you listed, DUI, uh, domestic violence, regardless of how those are categorized in the felony or misdemeanor spectrum, that is a threat to other people in the community. Um, I am going to continue to take issue with any time that we sweep people up in this program that are that are doing things that are not a threat in our community. Um, I think that's a great way to frame it. And maybe mm-hmm. a point of feedback and encouragement to you um, would be um, taking that data. I know the county commission, Commissioner Dunlap, specifically said, I want to see the data. I know there's a follow-up there. Mm-hmm. Perhaps framing that data to Larkin's very good point of, because, uh, you know, it's, 
danger to others versus not that you know when you list out the top three they feel like danger to others right, right. and i think some of that might be lost in kind of the storyline that gets weaved for folks so perhaps a way to really parse that data out and i'll tell you until the point i see that a bunch of innocent people and families are being broken up because they're getting parking tickets more right. than somebody committing a violent crime domestic violence dwi whatever the topic is that's the only way I'm going to change my position on this. And I and someone's got to show me the data of that side, not the anecdotal stories. Right. All right. So we used up our entire segment on one topic, but we'll give yeah. you the final word if you've got something either related or unrelated that you want to mention uh, that's that's going on in the Sheriff's Department. Uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime. I'd love to talk about the high school that you guys run in the jail. I think that's an amazing program. But last final parting uh, words are yours. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion today. And it is a hot, to a hot topic. I just want the facts to be out there and people to understand the sheriff's office, we're here to serve. And the sheriff is the highest law enforcement official in the county because it's elected by the people. Mm -hmm. We're here to serve the people. And uh, I want everyone to know this. I have a great relationship with uh, Chief Putney and all the chiefs in this county because we all work together. We have the same mission safety and security, and, uh, and to serve. Sheriff Carmichael. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on soon. So we will be right back after this break. tenured colleague on Charlotte City Council, not consecutively. Show right. some love, man. Took, this took, is, took a little two-year vacation. This but, is big. But he's back. back. We've got the, the smudge man himself. I'm back. James Smudgy Mitchell, who, uh, relevant to our conversation we're about to have, is also the chair of the uh, always important and powerful economic the most, powerful, the most committee powerful committee in the land in Charlotte. Councilman Smudge, welcome to the program. Oh my lord, I'm already intimidated. But first of all, to my good friends Lark and Tark, thank you for having me mm. on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Let me say something to your listeners out there. Th Thousands this, of them. Th this is not about young versus old. It's about a team we put together to serve the city of Charlotte. And these two young men have provided a lot of energy, a lot of insight, so I appreciate you. Well, well it helps to, have a, you. helps to have a, a great, now I'm a gray beard too, but for different reasons. I'm just aging early. Uh, it helps yeah. to have some seasoned, uh, seasoned veterans around the dais too. You've, you've seen all these plans we talk about that uh, go on for so long and we mm -hmm. have to look back and say, how did this happen? Right. Well, we can turn to you. That's say, right. How did that happen <laughs> back in 1998? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody like, a dinosaur. You know, tell us what happened. So, <laughs> what year did you what year did you start on Charlotte City? So, uh, I started in 1999. I ran against eight people, beat eight Democrats, a Republican. Ooh. 1999, I served District Two for 14 years. I uh, was not successful. I ran against Patrick Cannon for mayor in 2013, and then came back. Talk about your all-time backfire. I've seen a I've seen a picture uh, of of Smudgy back in the early days. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell you. Yeah, it, did it you is... say an open house? Remember you oh, went yeah. downstairs yeah. to the yeah, city clerk? Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. City clerk. Now, I will, I'd like to 
I'd like to put it out on the record. Right. You had my vote in that primary. Well, I appreciate it. So I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I can look back now and say I made the right decision. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's all right, though. All right. On, on to uh, more current issues. Yeah. Yes. So ED, today's ED, today. ED. That was a big one. Man. Well, it was. But, Tark, let me say this. Mm-hmm. And I told all committee members, if they are late to the ED committee meeting, Tark McCarty gets to sit in a place because you are dedicated well, I- I almost wanted to welcome everybody to the ED committee. Thank you all for joining us for this high-profile issue today. We'll see you next time. Where are you? So tell us. Well, so this was new, but there we was. haven't really done something like this before. Correct. So we had, tell us a little bit about what we did and, okay. and why it was a little different. Okay. So uh, today we had all four developers to make a presentation to ED committee. And, gentlemen, we knew it was going to be so big. Instead of meeting room CH14, they only housed about 40 people, we moved it to room 267. Mm-hmm. And I think you all saw we had over close to about 180 people there. And it was new. Usually, staff listen to the presenters and then make a recommendation to us. Uh, but the true story behind the background, uh, Councilmember Newton uh, refused to leave the uh, interview. And so, w- with that being an issue for us, uh, I asked Deborah and Kevin... Uh, let's shut down the interview process. So that's, just for clarity there, yes. there was an interview with just staff and these four developers. Correct. That was they scheduled. Vetted. They would have vetted. They would have brought us a recommendation. And then I got a phone call from staff. So we had a council member there who was adamant that he was going to stay there and look at all four proposals. So is that inappropriate at that that's point That's very in time? In- inappropriate. So here's the good and bad. The bad is we don't have no policy in place to address it. Mm. The good is... You can appreciate him wanting to represent his district, but there's always a way to do it properly. And so when I spoke to him and I said, Matt, please don't do it this way. You're going to slow down the process. I talked to the city manager and and then Deborah Campbell about how can we facilitate what Matt wanted to do at the same time have some integrity in the process. Mm. So today was something that was new to us. Uh, I thought it went well. Uh, I thought it removed all the bad information out there in the community. People kept saying it was seven developers, eight developers. It was only four. Uh, I thought you saw the 20 minutes that developers had were very good. Only thing I didn't like, we couldn't do our normal ED meeting, Tark, you there. That's it. We, we get questions. We get into it, Tark. Yeah, we do. Don't we? We yes, get into the it. Real the real question. It was a little. So the two observations I have one, it felt a little scripted. And it, two, it. Um, I would, I would have thought in the way I've seen these things happen in the past from right. a distance that we would have had more answers, a little pop. Maybe we wouldn't have seen all four. Maybe some folks would have been weeded out. That's Are right. both of those well, due to say, what you're talking well, about? Right. I ahead. want you to answer or address all the issues because, okay. again, I didn't have maybe the full understanding of, of how it got to where it got to. But, uh, you know, it did seem like these were not fully baked ideas. And then some of them were obviously far more credible and complete mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there thinking, now how in the world did, did this get through and why is this being yeah. presented in front of 200 people right now? Right. And and all of the entire, we should note, every single member <laughs> of city council was at this meeting today, <laughs> even right. though only five of the 11 of us are on, on the committee. Right. Um, myself not included. But so I was, I was wondering, like, why is this even part of the presentation is that why we have folks meet with staff first so that they can kind of exactly. boil it down and bring us a, a more complete put together? Bingo. Yeah, exactly. So real quick. So number one, we we never had an RFQ or RFP to go out in the street. Mm. That was the first problem. So at the time, Pat Mumford, the economic development director, he told anybody, if you have a vision for East Lamar, submit it to us. 
that what you saw today mm-hmm. with those four proposals that were submitted to Pat. I think what you heard around the conversation today, the question, they were script talk. Because you know a lot of it was not our language. But we was trying to capture about the impact to the community, what public investment they would want. You know, my whole thing is when you going to get it done. We don't want people to land bank, take 69 acres, Larkin, and just sit there for four or five years. And so I can't wait to April 26th. I hope your viewers will come at 12 noon. I think we got to go back to room 267. I don't think if we go to CH14, mm. our normal room, I think it's going to be packed. This topic is so important. Eastland going to show up. So in hindsight, do you think we this helped, hurt, or maybe didn't really have much impact on the process? I don't think it had an impact on the process. I think Here's what I think it helped. One, total transparency. Everybody heard all four presentations. Number two, it got rid of all the bad information out in the community about we don't know what's going on and it's eight developers. No, it's only four. Uh, number three, I think uh, only it, it put staff in a place they had to move a little faster. Staff was kind of dragging their feet a little bit. But now we said we having this meeting. Here's four presenters. You heard how Kevin opened up with the criteria. Mm-hmm. So we pushed staff to say, all right, we got to move this thing a little faster, and we got to do it in a transparent way. Now, you said that this really wasn't the way that, that no. people should go about this process. No. Do you think this sets a bad precedent that now all of a sudden this is how everybody's going to want to yeah, do exactly. everything? Exactly. Lark and I agree with it. And I think you all got the taste of it. Like, you, in tar- you've been in our meeting. You're like, this is not an ED committee meeting because yeah. we engage, we ask the tough questions. This put everybody at, at kind of larking at a disadvantage. Because one thing we could not touch on that's important to three of us, what is the public investment and what is your yeah. financial capability? No one was even Bingo. close to being ans- able to answer that today. And I don't know if that was Talk, we told weaknesses they in the presentation or just too early. Yeah, we, and we normally wouldn't hear Bingo. it at this point. And plus it takes all your negotiation. Yeah. So we oh, didn't, yeah. See, so we couldn't reveal that, Larkin, to your point. Staff would have did that in advance, gave us a recommendation, and then we would have challenged staff. Why are you recommending us? What's the financial picture look like? And today we was all, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I had a lot of tough questions, Smudgy. I wanted to know, one, what is the typical ROI of a laser laser tag venue right now? (laughs) Two, there was, there was how many square feet? For, there was a throwback for both. <laughs> two, how many square feet are, is required for a center for kids who need to learn how to read books on tape? So I mean, those were the things that These I was not jokes. able. They're These inside, inside jokes. jokes. They were there today. They you, were part of presentations. Now I will say, if you'd like to know what Targ's referencing, uh, all of the documents <laughs> from right. today's meeting are available on the city website. That's right. And, and there, if you dig through right. the dozens and dozens of pages we had to look at today, you will find the little nuggets of humor that Targ just pulled out there. That's right. Oh, Lark, you just reminded me, Targ. So one thing we did accomplish today. A lot of people on council kept saying, where's the developer community? Mm. We kept investing in a study. The Jacobs Group study cost us $150,000. There was another $400,000 to set aside for future study. And I give council member Drake. Drake said, no more money until we find out how does developer community feel about yeah. Eastland. So we did answer that today. And so now that $400,000 we got set aside could probably go into a development. But Larkin, let me give you credit, my, my brother. Because District 1 is abutting Eastland. You've been very quiet, and you've been saying, let the process work itself out. I'm engaged when it's the right time. So thank you for being patient, but I know you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna rip me a new one later on. No, man, I work, I work behind the scenes. You That's can't, right. Everything doesn't have to be on a, a soapbox or That's a right. – 
you know, grandstand. So, so real quick, uh, that that is really helpful and insightful information in the backstory of why things happen that you literally can't get anywhere else than this other than this podcast right now. Just as a second question, though, how do you feel about economic development, your committee, and where we are? I mean, d- to date uh, in the new council, I know we've already had one big win that I'm super proud of, which is. Um, EY and their 375 new jobs that's right. that are coming to us in their Wave that's Space right. Innovation Center. Right. So that's great. How do you feel overall about kind of where we are? No, talk, we're moving too slow, man. Hey, I'm a point guard. I got the mentality of West Charlotte. I believe in making stuff happen. I think we should be moving twice a month. We need to talk about what industry should we be recruiting. Mm-hmm. We love your passion about fintech. Where is that on our radar screen? Yeah. I want to set a thermometer. We need 3,000 jobs, white-collar, blue-collar jobs. That's the stuff I want to get into is creating jobs, I think, and solve some of the, the ills we have. So I, I think zero to five, we about a two now. I want us to be operating about a 4.79. And so come on, man. Let's have some fun. Put me in, Coach. That was, that was, that was, put a, me super, in, coach. That was a super specific number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a five-point scale. But you don't right. hear that that often. That's I right, 4.79. And talk, I think, but... You know, here's a serious note to your listeners. We know how important the ED committee is, and we try to do the thing to address was amateur sport, East Lamar, and creating jobs. And so I encourage all your listeners, if you can, to come to our meeting. The next one is April 26th at 12 noon. We do serve food, but you can't eat it. It's just for a committee. Why would you tell we them do that? serve food, but you can't eat. But you can't eat it. Why would you tell them that we serve? It? Because we're serving it. We serve it, Larkin. We serve it for us. I got we're, an honorary member tart. We, we, have some ice, we have some ice water ready for anyone. Yeah. No, they can't have the ice water. Yeah, they got it. Just the regular water. All right, you get the last word of this episode. Smudgy, anything else you want to put out into the universe? Uh, I will say this. Uh, this is why uh, you two on council. Uh, this is new for a lot of us. And being an old head, we never thought about podcasts and embracing social media. So mm. hats off to, to the two count, young council members. And let's keep moving Charlotte yeah, forward. Yeah. I, have, I have bad news, though, Smudgy. This will not be made available on 8-Track. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I have good news. <laughs> I've already decided what music I'm going to play Smudgy in with. And that's going to be 24 characters. Can we go? Hey! Showtime! <laughs> We're going to have to adjust a lot of volume levels. Yeah. This, Finally, someone else with the volume levels that I have. Between you two, I'm suddenly the quiet one. You look shocked. All right. Well, Everybody knows, but no, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate absolutely. it. We're so glad to have you on. Right, so glad man. for all the work you've done that, for the city. Episode 12, Larkin? Episode 12 in the books. In the books. If you, if you don't love the show by now... What you, then something's wrong with you. Yeah, something's wrong with you. It's, it's, something it's definitely you, not us. Yeah. Uh, but if you do love the show, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate us. Five stars would be preferable. Well, we're going to send somebody like Smudgy out to get you. That's right. Will, it, hey. Yes. You don't want that. You don't want no. that. I'll bring the hood. <laughs> All right. it's not, we're not actually threatening people here, Smudgy. All right, so Smudgy's not bringing the hood. He's not going to hurt you. But we would love for you to subscribe. Rate us five stars. Share with your friends. Like the Facebook page. All that good stuff. In the book. And we will look forward to seeing you all next week. Later. You're listening to R&D in the QC with Tariq Bakari and Mark Eggleston.